0: This is WMPG. My name is Dr. Anne, and this is Safe Space, a live show for the courageous discussion of difficult subjects. Tonight's show is part of an ongoing series about suicide. Tonight's focus is on suicide prevention, particularly with lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, or questioning adolescents. My guest is Charles Robbins, who is the executive director and CEO of The Trevor Project. The Trevor Project is based in Santa Monica, California, but they are the only nationwide organization that provides a 24-7 hotline for suicide prevention for adolescents who are questioning their sexuality or who are coming out and are really uh, in crisis about that. Welcome to Safe Space, Charles.
1: It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you for the invitation.
0: Yeah, well, I want to start out by asking, you know, I know that the rates of suicide are much higher. The risk is much higher for a gay, lesbian, and questioning. I'm not going to list every all all the categories each time, just because it's going to become onerous. But I know that kids um, who are coming out and learning about their sexuality are at greater risk of suicide. Tell me, how much greater is that risk? What, how big uh, a problem is it?
1: Well, you know, uh, for for brevity, we'll just say queer and questioning youth. Perfect. Um, The uh, risk assessment surveys that go out to high schools, there are about 13 states that include sexual orientation as a descriptor, and the research shows that youth who um, have filled out the forms have actually disclosed sexual orientation, um, have a four times greater likelihood of attempting suicide than their heterosexual peers. Another study that was done in California showed that youth who are gay, lesbian, bisexual, or transgender, and come from a rejecting family, that's a family that disavows homosexuality 100%, um, have a nine times greater likelihood of attempting suicide. And um, across the nation, for youth 13 to 24, suicide is the third leading cause of death. So as you can imagine, it is... a uh, quite alarming that our um, young population of uh, queer youth are at greater risk.
0: Absolutely. I mean, those are chilling figures to think about, nine times increased risk. It, it points to when you call a rejecting family, I mean, is your understanding that that is the number one risk factor for well, these kids? Know,
1: when we look at our data and, and, and amongst other um, crisis suicide prevention helplines, um, for us the number one Uh, kind of presenting issue uh, is depression. It is widespread, and it's a result of many things. Um, The second thing is isolation for gay youth. They feel alone. They don't know anybody else who's gay. Uh, They feel that they need to remain closeted in order to remain safe, either at home or at school. And so they feel like they're living uh, a, a life by themselves with no support whatsoever. The Third presenting issue is um, family rejection, and the fourth is peer rejection, which of course happens on school grounds and playgrounds across the country where there's uh increased uh sense of bullying and tormenting that goes on uh, in the playground.
0: I was going to say rejection almost sounds like a euphemism for actually outright violence in some cases it
1: really is you know there's a new term that we've uh, kind of coined lately it's i'm I'm, I'm kind of um, on the fence with uh, actually giving power to the name of this term, but it's called bully side. And it is in, uh, individuals who have died by suicide because of the relentless bullying that has gone on on campus. And there are several uh, national news reports that showed that those incidents have actually increased.
0: Yes, I mean, here on the East Coast, there's just been a very, very tragic. Suicide of a of a young Irish immigrant girl. You may have heard about this in South Hadley, Massachusetts, after relentless bullying.
1: Yeah, we're watching this very closely because this is the first case where a district attorney has actually filed um, and and made some arrests. Um, so it's it's an interesting case, and um, one of the things that the Trevor Project is working on is uh, hopefully we'd like to see more. Um, uh, anti-bullying legislation in many of the states, but we want to make sure that it includes enumeration uh, that specifically uh, t- um, states uh, the lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender community uh, as a protected class.
0: So, tell me, how do you mean? It being, would other classes of or groups of people be uh, have to be identified, or wouldn't it apply just to everybody?
1: Uh, Well, you know, unfortunately, the way that laws are written, um, there are ways around, uh, especially like hate crimes legislation, um, you know, it's really important to name the uh, targeted group um, in the legislation, otherwise it it doesn't have the breadth or the depth of being enforced. Um, And so it's really important for us because of the high risk um, that that, uh, our community is named.
0: I see. And so... um what, what is effective bullying legislation from your standpoint? Because I know there's so many programs to try to prevent bullying, and I know they have really mixed results.
1: Well, you know, I think what uh, the Trevor Project is doing, we're, we're, we're taking a different viewpoint about uh, anti-violence, anti-bullying uh, workshops. We feel that the root cause is really actually unknown to the individual who's being the bully or the tormentor. Um, many times, students just act out just because they want to fit in with the rest of their um, friends, and yeah. not, they don't realize the consequence of their behavior and their words. So our workshop is tailored a little bit different. We um, present the workshop uh, from the auspices of um, suicide prevention work. So we'll um, come into a classroom, and we'll talk about, well, you know, what is suicide, uh, what are the warning signs of suicide? How do you help somebody who's suicidal? And what do you do if you're feeling different? And that's the key thing because many of these subgroups uh, are feeling different. It's the individual who may have body image problems or the individual who's academically challenged or the gay, lesbian, bisexual, transgender individual who just doesn't fit in. So in our workshop, we will um, use the gay, lesbian, a community as a metaphor for feeling different we'll ask the class you know do people feel like that is an appropriate metaphor do you think if you were gay or lesbian that you would feel different everybody agrees they nod their head they say yes they say okay let's take this a little bit further and then so we use that population as a uh, kind of metaphor for um, uh... the kind of attack both verbally physically and emotionally, that happens when people use defamatory language and behavior. It's, for us, we, ha, we, we find that a lot of youth find it an aha moment, that they're, they're actually subconscious to the fact that they're really, um, uh, that their words and actions actually could have a fatal consequence. And when you use harsh words like fatal consequence or murderous behavior, it's a little bit alarming. It's a little <laughs> shocking for students to hear that. Sure. Um, but hopefully what it does is it, it reminds them that, you know, their point of view is so limited and that other people have so many things going on, just like they do, but they don't know the circumstance of that individual. And uh, so hopefully our workshop provides them with a little bit of a different lens to look through. Um, upon completion of the workshop, we hear from many youth who um, make pledges to vow to change their behavior. You know, they become um, their straight allies. Um, and invariably, there's usually a Trevor in the, in the class. You know, somebody who is uh, gay, lesbian, bisexual, or transgender, they either may come out during the class or they may later on come out to the teacher or express something to a counselor. And, uh, you know, for that's, for us, that's a pretty powerful thing to do because what we really want people to do is find somebody that they can trust and get some support with. Um, And that's the most important thing.
0: It's very powerful for me just to hear you talking about it. I mean, I think about sort of the perfect storm of adolescence because kids are coming into their sense of sexuality and they have such an acute sense of kind of peer, of the wish to belong. Yeah,
1: absolutely. It's um, um, uh, quite a, uh, it's a very addictive uh, kind of behavior.
0: (laughs) <laughs> what, the trying to belong? Yeah. I've never heard of that described as addictive before. What do you mean? <laughs> uh,
1: well, you know, that it's, it, it, it's alluring, um, you know, this way, you know, trying to fit in, trying to be somebody different than who you really are. Yes. Uh, and then, you know, uh, falsely um, acting that way. Um, so it's 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 very difficult for, you know, the teen years are tumultuous enough. Um, high school is is no you know it's 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 a notorious difficult time for for young people who are um, you know getting through their teenage years and um, you know power and and uh, prestige has a lot to do with it and it's a lot of learned behavior from parents Um, so it's it's a tough time but then you know you throw in the mix uh, that there's a higher amount of depression going on amongst youth you throw in the mix that there are um, you know, today, uh, the average age of coming out, uh, that youth recognize the, the fact that they may be uh, a sexual minority, is the age of 14. So they're coming out at a much younger age, not that they're coming out publicly. I was going to say,
0: you're saying like coming out to yourself. Yeah. Getting it.
1: Acknowledgement.
0: Inside. Exactly. Yeah. yeah.
1: Now, many of us, like myself, who grew up uh, uh, hiding my sexual orientation until I was, you know, well out of college and in, and, and in my 20s, Um, late mid-twenties really, um, that was a lot of repression. That was a lot, a lot, a lot of sexual repression. And unfortunately, my path was, you know, a little bit different. But, um, you know, the pain was still there, but that pain was um, sedated by, you know, drugs and alcohol. And that ended up being my, you know, kind of demons that I had to deal with. Um, And many, many youth have those same kind of things where they're suppressing Uh, their orientation. We find now that there are a lot more youth who are uh, averting to uh, or using um, self-mutilation as a tactic to deal with pain. And uh, we believe that actually lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender youth have a higher incidence of self-mutilation, which would include um, cutting, piercing, um, burning, that kind of behavior.
0: And how do you understand the meaning of that?
1: Uh, a deep sense of feeling um, not connected, um, not alone, not loved. Um, is there is out. it a
0: feeling of like, this is bad about me? Uh,
1: yeah, and, and it's pain displ- uh, displacement, so it's taking the emotional pain and moving it from, uh, you know, an emotional state to a physical state.
0: Right, you know, I- I work as a psychiatrist, and I remember early in my training, a surgeon saying to me, "Of course, you know that psychic pain is so much worse than physical pain, and so when we cut, you know, it it turns something into physical pain, which is easier." Right. Um, I was struck by the recognition of that by a surgeon. I don't know that everyone <laughs> really I tr- appreciates that. Yeah, <laughs> and I actually,
1: I, I'm, I'm I'm surprised too. I don't. I think that most uh, adult clinicians don't recognize that the. Um, the, the um, intensity of and, and the broad uh, usage of cutting today is much greater than before. Um, I think in the 70s there was a time when, when youth were actively looking at, um, you know, kind of uh, substance use to displace pain. Uh, 70s and 80s, um, sniffing that kind of thing, glue, all that good, you know, uh, yeah. crazy, crazy stuff. And and today, it's a it's a different form. It's it's uh, showing up as self mutilation.
0: It's so sad. I mean, you know, what it just seems like this passage from that awareness at 14 about what my sexual identity is, you know, into finding a safe community as an adult. It feels like such a fraught passage. I mean, you're talking about how, you know, the the kids are so at risk for self-mutilating use of drugs and alcohol or suicide. And what are the things that uh, we can do as communities, as schools, as families, as churches, synagogues, you know, what are the things that we know that really can help the kids in our midst uh, navigate these waters
1: well I appreciate that question and there's so many different things folks can do but I think having a perspective about suicide is really important for folks so you know knowing that um, it is eminent when there are uh, a lot of protective factors that are removed Um, tell me more what you mean by that protective factors are things like you know a a caring family um, a good home environment safety and security Um, friends, um, uh, you you know, just quality of life things that that make people feel supported. Um, The more those things are removed, um, the greater the incidence of suicidality. But for us, uh, for example, you know, we're fielding over 30,000 calls a year on our 24-hour helpline. We have 160 trained counselors. Um, who are staffing the phone lines um, each and every day. Our call centers are in Los Angeles and in New York, and uh, youth are finding out about us uh, through the Internet, through their schools, through friends. Um, and our call volume has increased threefold, and that's really primarily because we've had better um, mechanisms of getting the word out about um, our our suicide prevention helpline. So, uh, When you look at the the 30,000 calls that are coming in and the uh, things that youth are expressing, what we've also noticed is that we have higher amounts of phone calls from youth who are in the Midwest and Deep South, and we have higher amounts of phone calls. matter of fact, 60% of the calls originate from non-urban areas. So when you think about that, there is a higher degree of conservatism and there is a higher degree of unconnectedness uh... that assimilates with those statistics
0: what do you mean by unconnectedness?
1: unconnectedness rural population uh... not very connected with social services or 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 even um, you know broad support of families or friends um... rural areas are very difficult for for young people who are experiencing um, you know kind of this revelation around sexual orientation um, they may not know anybody, um, and they really feel like it's 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 not right, and and I could never tell someone, versus an urban area where you know to some degree there is, uh, hopefully, uh, more support services. Um, you know, uh, school districts tend to be a little bit more um, helpful. Um, in colleges, you see a lot more. Um, gay-straight alliances, as well as in high schools as well. So the rural communities are, have, an, have an additional challenge, and that's why the phone calls that we uh, receive reflect that. So um, for, for what people can do, um, I think there's two important factors. One, everybody should learn the warning signs of suicide.
0: Okay, when, why don't you name what the second thing is, and then we'll come back and go through those signs. All right. So when is learn the warning signs, and what's the second thing?
1: Uh, the second thing is, um, is to know what resources are out there for folks and to talk to somebody if they feel like uh, they are exhibiting some of the warning signs. Um, many people shy away from the conversation around suicide or even the question, are you thinking of killing yourself? It's so important. Um, it will not uh, put bad ideas in somebody's head. If they're already thinking about it, they're already thinking about it. So it's really important for those two factors to to take place.
0: Okay, so let's come back to them. And before we go ahead, I'm just going to say this is WMPG. My name is Dr. Anne. This is Safe Space. And my guest today is Charles Robbins of the Trevor Project, a nationwide organization working to prevent suicide for queer and questioning youth. So Charles, Come back to, it. what are the warning signs for adolescents um, who are feeling suicidal? Well,
1: one of the first things is is that there tends to be um, uh, a movement toward isolation and social withdrawal. So you a, a youth may have been very gregarious or very outgoing or very playful, and then um, there's been a pendulum swing where they become more isolated. They're withdrawing from society. Um Substance abuse is another clear indicator that there may be some kind of mental health issue going on or some kind of, um, uh, you know, other than peer pressure, um, something of, uh, is, is uh, bringing up something for somebody to use a substance or drink. Um, expressions of negative attitudes toward their self. So they're saying, you know, I, I, you know they're really downgrading themselves. Mm-hmm. They're not feeling empowered by themselves, and their words are exhibiting that expressions expressions of hopelessness or helplessness um, that they have no future orientation um, is really a big indicator Um, lots of interest in usual activities let's say um, a youth was in the band um, and and really had enjoyed it but you know just for whatever reason, they just got disinterested or they had a hobby that they used to do that they're no longer interested or, um, you know, uh, a sporting um, activity um, that they no longer um, associate with.
0: So um, they really start withdrawing from their life.
1: They really do. They're, there's just this, you know, kind of like um, they're go- it, it's, I, it's got a little bit like cocooning. Um mm-hmm. The other thing is, uh, uh, you know, and this is, it comes in many ways, but giving away valued possessions. Now, some people may not notice this right away, but, you know, they may have a favorite DVD or a favorite CD, and then all of a sudden they've just decided to give it to one of their friends. And you don't think much about it, but if it becomes repetitious and they start giving away more and more valued possessions, that's an indication that they really uh, they have no future orientation. Yeah. Uh, expression of lack of future, of course. Um, I, I said, you know, but something physically they may say is it won't matter soon anyway. That's a pretty potent statement. For that a young raises person. the hair
0: on my arms hearing you say that. <laughs> yeah, it's danger. A, it's,
1: I'm sorry. As
0: a danger. Yeah, yeah. warning.
1: Yeah. Um, so anyway, you know, for someone who has been very depressed. Uh, when that depression begins to lift, the individual may be at more increased risk of suicide. So it's, you know, and as the individual have the psychological energy uh, to follow through on, on, on suicide ideation. So it, mood swings are very important uh, to, to, to notice and to intervene. Because if somebody was in a week of depression, and then they start coming out of that depression, they may be more psychologically inclined to take action on their suicidal ideation. You know but the good news in all of this, ninety five percent of suicides are preventable, but they're only preventable because somebody else uh, intervened or expressed care and concern to someone or the individual who is going through the pain recognizes that there are some resources out there and that they need to, you know, take some action.
0: And when you talk about resources, do you mean someone else who's trustworthy, who will get it and accept them? Is that...
1: that or even our phone line. I mean, I think the easiest thing for a youth to do is to pick up the phone and call, um, you know, if they're gay or lesbian, call the Trevor Project. It's uh, 1-866, the numeral 4, U Trevor. That's, uh, 866-4-U-TREVOR.
0: Why don't you say what the actual numbers are? Uh, 866-488-7386. Great. And we're going to say that number again at the end, but Terrific. that's very helpful. Okay. So go ahead. Did you have more?
1: Uh, you no, know, I was just going to say, and for youth who are not um, lesbian, gay, bisexual, or transgender, I mean, we still accept their phone calls, but they may feel uh, more comfortable calling the National Lifeline, which is... Um, Eight
0: hundred two seven three talk great, okay, so um I want to shift gears now and and you mentioned a little bit about your own story, but i I think so often personal experience h- helps us understand something and tell me a little bit about your own coming out and you know you're coming out to yourself, and then what it was you you mentioned that you used drugs and alcohol, but what what was that experience like? How did you need that you know why did you feel that you ne- needed that what were you up against
1: Yeah well I, you know I think I had my first ideations of sexual orientation um you know in in uh, my reaching puberty and um you know 12 13 years old um I, I I kind of felt different um I I I mentally uh thought I was different um and uh, probably two or three times during my uh, young teen years, um, had fantasized about, um, you know, other uh, people of the same sex. Um, when I entered high school, it became really apparent that I um, physically had an attraction to other men, uh, to other boys, uh, but I was petrified. Um, and so I um, didn't act out on on that, you know, kind of uh, wanting to find out about, you know, what is being gay like, and do I know anybody who's gay? Um, I really became uh, reclusive around that, and um, unfortunately, I started uh, drinking and, and uh, using uh, drugs at an early age, and and it started in high school, um, and I found that that was a way that connected me with some other people so i i I fit into a group um Uh you know we were back then it was the the freaks and the jocks and the and the geeks i guess were the 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 names that people um used for for different groups and you know i was kind of in the freak group and uh so it was a uh you know it was a a group that i could relate to and i uh, became family with and you know they accepted me and um that was kind of cool um then um, you know, then then the behavior became darker. Um, my uh, addiction continued and uh, into my twenties. Um, and then uh, at the age of twenty-five, I, I really felt that um, I was living a lie. And uh, so what I did was uh, what a lot of alcoholics do, and they'll do a, ge- a, a geographic move. Uh, so I had, uh, I, I always say, I ran from. Uh, my hometown um, and and ended up on the West coast. Um, and it took about a year, but uh, within a year, I actually uh, came out to somebody else. And uh, when I came out, that was a you know it was a, such a, a huge relief in my life. Um, of course, I didn't connect with my family about it. i was uh, I just found a a, a group of um, other gay individuals. And um, you know, the place where you met people, um, were at the bars, at the uh, the nightclubs, and that's kind of my, you know, beginning. Um, uh, that's that's how I began my journey with the LGBT community. Um,
0: and so now here you are. You know, you're the executive <laughs> director and CEO. How yeah. how has your family well, accepted well, you know, the this?
1: Two, the, the interesting thing was was that, um, uh, you know, uh, after four years of really. Um, you know, an unfortunate uh, use and abuse. I committed myself to a rehab program, so a 30-day treatment program, best thing I ever did in my life. That was uh, 18 years ago. And um, I wrote a letter to my father and said, you know, Dad, um, gosh, I have two things to tell you. One, I'm in treatment for drugs and alcohol, and two, I'm gay. Um, He wrote back, and it was the most tender-touching letter that I've ever received. I always had a fear. Uh, that I would be rejected, and uh, he accepted me. Mm-hmm. So it was very cathartic for me, and, um, you know, and that's how um, I began to live my life. I, I began to live my life truthfully, um, and I think that that made all the difference. Oh,
0: that's a very lovely story. Thank you so much for sharing that. I'm so glad your father was able to express his love for you that way.
1: Yeah, it was really terrific. And, um, you know, my father was uh, much older um, and uh, I, I have to say, I, I did go back to uh, my hometown. I got to rekindle my relationship with him, and uh, and then he passed away. So mm-hmm. I would have been tormented for life had I had not rekindled my relationship. So it was really important that... Uh, that, that happened, and I'm very grateful it did. Well,
0: I'm, I'm grateful for, for all of you. Uh, Charles, we're going to have to stop. I want to thank you so much for being my guest, uh, for telling your story and doing the work that you do to help keep adolescents safe and alive and thriving. Um, if someone wants to learn more about the Trevor Project, how can they be in touch with you and learn more about it?
1: You know, our website is the easiest place to go. It's uh, uh, thetrevorproject.org all one word, thetrevorproject.org, and uh, folks can find out about volunteering, making a donation, as well as our uh, all of our programs for youth are uh, listed there.
0: I understand you also have work uh, kind of packets for schools that they can use. That's right.
1: If you're an educator and you um, uh, have a classroom and you'd like to receive a, a survival kit free of charge, which includes a poster and the curriculum, For the workshop, uh, just go to our website, and uh, we'll be able to get that out to you. That
0: sounds wonderful. And one last time, the phone number, if someone wants to call your helpline.
1: That phone number is 1-866-488-7386.
0: Charles Robbins, thank you so much for being my guest. This is Dr. Ann on Safe Space. This is WMPG. Today we've been talking about suicide prevention for queer and questioning youth. Yeah, next week, I will be ta- continuing this series on suicide. If you'd like to email me with a request or a suggestion for a future show, please email me at drannwmpg at gmail.com. My thanks today to Jen Hodgson for managing the sound, Neil McKenty for being my consultant, and Maurice Lennon for the music. Coming up next is Money Talks with Allison.